a lot of us gravitate really easily to that label and we'll keep down this track of investment banker or maybe whatever their profession is. And it's really just interesting to observe you're describing who you are as a way that you show up for someone else. How do you mm. show up for yourself? That's one of the themes that keeps coming up in this conversation. How do you make yourself proud? What goes into that? That's where your identity is. It's not who you are for your mom. It's not who you are for your brother, your sister, your employer, whatever it may be. It's who are you for you? Once you can get clear on that, all those other relationships and those other roles and hats that you put on, they improve as well. They go through the roof because you're so clear and confident on who you are and what you want. Things don't affect you anymore. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Discover More. This week, we continue our conversation with Corey Camp. Corey is a personal performance coach, podcast host, and the founder of the Forever Athlete Branding Community. This week's episode begins with the story of Corey's two solo marathons. That's right, he ran two marathons completely unassisted. This experience taught him about the power of momentum in redefining and achieving the impossible. By seeking discomfort, our boxes of possibility expand. We also discuss the importance of sleep and recovery when striving towards peak performance. Corey explains a few of his biggest tips to achieving a good night's rest and creating change that is actually sustainable. If you're a high performer or someone looking to make productive change in your life, this is the episode for you. We hope you enjoy this episode of Discover More with us and Corey Camp. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Twenty miles was the first time that I finished, and I was like, "Holy crap, that was a really humbling experience." Not to mention, my feet are super blistery and bruised up. My legs are shot. All right, this is gonna be a testament of like, how am I gonna recover in five days to go and do this? Mm. I kind of put it out to the world that this is what I'm doing. I set up this solo race where I had certain people that were gonna help me out with nutrition along the way, and. I was like, I can't let them down. Like, I got to do this thing. So I led up to it, did it. And as I'm going through that first one, man, right from the start, I knew this hurt. It wasn't, there was no moment where I was like, I feel great. I stepped out of the the door. It was pouring down rain. And I go, well, I told myself I'm starting at seven. So it looks like I'm starting at seven and I'm going to get really, really wet during this. And that's going to be what it is. And did that, and it's really funny, because of the rain, the people that were supposed to help me out with nutrition along the way, yeah, man, like, we're just, like, meet you at the end, and I was like, you're kidding me, right? It's not how nutrition works. Yeah, (laughs) I need this fuel while I'm going. Fortunately, I had some, like, goos and stuff, I ran Mm -hmm. with a camelback, uh, and had some water. And was able to get through it, but it was brutal. That first one was absolutely brutal. I remember calling the same coach that 
organized the 5K, and I was like, dude, I need your motivation right now. He's a motivational speaker, too. Mm-hmm. He fired me up. <laughs> it was so funny because at that point, really from like 20, mile 20 onwards, was just absolutely brutal stopping where I was walking, running, running, quote unquote, at that point. The worst part was, was I started where I was solo, and I just ran Route 1 all the way up to Rehoboth. And then I'm starting to feel this way, and that's what I'm starting to run into. It's now 9.30 in the morning. The casual runners are out doing uh. their morning jog all around Rehoboth. And that was just getting in my head. I was like, God, I would crush these people in a race normally. Yeah. And here I am, barely able to walk. Like, this is so embarrassing. This is crazy. He helped me get out of my head and, like, finish but even the finish was me just kind of like walking across this imaginary finish line, looking at my phone, checking the GPS. And I wasn't thrilled with my time, but I was, I was happy that I finished it. And I was like, all right, great. And then come this year, when I moved out here, I signed up for a competition called High Rocks. That was supposed to be April 10th in downtown LA at the convention center. And they got canceled because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And, but I was I was actually training for this one. And that gave me about seven weeks to figure out, like, what do I want to do? And it's like, huh, I wasn't <laughs> happy with that marathon time. Let's do that again. Like, let's run it back. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll find another nonprofit locally out here and we'll make it happen. That presented a whole other host of challenges. I felt great from the start. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I realized, like, no matter how great you're going to feel, you're still going to have moments in that race where you're going to feel like death (laughs) and you just have to play in your head over and over like just keep moving forward one foot in front of the other get out of your head as much as possible of like what does it feel like one foot one foot one foot and the next thing you know you do 26.2 miles and you're good to go (laughs) i love that story on so many so many levels i think the first thing i want to zero in on is the question that you asked when you ran your first 5k is what would it feel like to run a full marathon yeah right it's like that singular question then unlocked so many new levels and new opportunities and then i think also it speaks to the power of momentum and like building the snowball over time right you said you didn't run a mile up until that first 5k practically or over five or what have you and then within a year it's snowballing into this big and beautiful thing so i'm sure momentum and just like that James Clear kind of habit approach, snowballing those habits, making them bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suspect it's something you utilize with your clients, just behavior change, behavior then shaping identity. Using this story as kind of a case study or a reference point of asking bigger questions, continuing to build that momentum. Could you speak to habit change in terms of building those things? Because I think habit change for me has been instrumental into identity change, how I relate to myself, the world. So when working with clients, just habit change as a whole, your story speaks well to it. Hoping to talk through a couple things that come to mind. Appreciate that. I mean, I think really when it boils down to habit change, it's like understanding why you want to change that habit, getting to the root of that. I mean, for my story particular it was just this curiosity of like what's going to happen like that's why i wanted to build this habit of running a little bit more and self-discovery in that process it can look different for everyone but when it really boils down to changing the habit itself it depends on how big it is you know what i mean obviously if we're talking marathon to most people that sounds like this huge accomplishment this really long race sounds really really hard i love throwing in a little bit of like NLP into practice and be like, Hey, look, like let's change the words that we're using 
to describe the habits that you are trying to create. So instead of saying, this is a really hard habit for me to form, make it quick and easy. And like, if you just convince yourself of that over time, almost to a point of you're naive to the fact of that it's, it's an actual difficult task. Mm-hmm. Now to the point a year later, I'm like, oh, I can go run a quick half marathon today if I like had to, like worst yeah. case scenario. And that's truly how I feel towards these things. Once you build momentum and understand habit stacking, then you can also use a little bit of NLP in there and be like, all right, cool. We're going to really be intentional with how we're describing these quote unquote hard tasks. We're going to make them seamlessly routine or something you already do. Easy enough, right? Just for the listeners, we do want to say NLP that Corey's referring to is neuro uh, linguistic programming. And obviously yeah. it's a popular modality. Um, this story resonates with me uber deeply. And I think Aiden knows what I'm about to say is when you talk about a lot of people view marathon as this very, very unachievable and difficult task, I definitely fall into that category Yeah. since I've been allergic to cardio my entire <laughs> life, right? Like I was a football player, a basketball player in high school. But when you have that sports element to that it makes it more durable yeah and it's also the commodity of the autumn sphere the people the team and that, that sure struggle which is why i think your solo marathon is so impressive because you don't even have the power of accountability like one of the techniques you utilize is by sharing your mission with the world mm. so that the world can hold you accountable which is very effective and i definitely want to highlight that for the listeners but the game time you're by yourself yeah which is like you I could tell you're pretty humble because you're glossing over a lot of the highlights. So I'm definitely going to zoom in on those highlights Pretty and trying sure. to extract, <laughs> extract. Cause yeah. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh yeah. solo marathon. He just has, he's a high achiever. He failed once quote unquote. So he wanted to rechallenge him again. That's not a simple statement. There's a lot of things unpacked in that. So yeah. I love to unpack that for, but because like I said, I was allergic to cardio for the longest time. And we read a book called the first impossible by Colin O'Brady He's the first person who was able to cross Antarctica solo unassisted in mm. human history. And that is a wild 50-day journey. And I think he crossed like 4,000, like insane amount of miles. So I read that book and I realized, oh, it was like a light bulb moment. Yeah. The perception of possibility or impossibility is me. Like I am is the difference between mm. possible and impossible, right? So I started to get on the seek discomfort challenge. I wanted to tap into my fear. And because I hated cardio, I thought, let's do start with cardio. So it, it led up to similar to a journey, not as extreme, yeah. but we actually uh, led up to 20 mile hike, which is the longest hike I've ever done. It took us about eight hours. Yeah. And the thing is I fucked up really hard is I brought my army boots because I'm an army reservist, but then I brought steel toe boots. So these boots you wear inside and these are very heavy and they're yeah. not friendly for 20 mile hike. So at that point, I realized, oh, fuck, we drove two and a half hours here. It's six in the morning. I just got to do it. Yeah. But within the first mile, I started having blisters, like actual blisters. And we had to take a break. And my girlfriend taped all my 10 toes and I was able to power through. But the mental fuckery and the internal dialogues that I was having is so intense. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to give up after the 10th mile because it was so hard. So we took a little meditation break. But once again, the power of accountability is that when I was feeling I was nearing my limits, Aiden was there to pull me through, mm. which you didn't have that before. And of course, you had a coach, you talk on the phone. Um, so I shared that just to say that it was extremely difficult for me. And But after the fact, I shared the same mindset switch 
mm. is now I want to view 20 mile hike or 10 mile hike. I'll say, yeah, we'll do the next weekend. I don't have that fear association anymore, which is extremely empowering. Yeah. But for you specifically, Corey, during your first lesson ideal start to your first marathon with the rain, 7 a.m. Yeah. hitting down, your nutrition buddies bailed on you <laughs> into the finish line. What are some of the highest of highs, you know, and some of the lowest of lows? Because I think everything's a balance, right? Mm. And of course, you had this mission with the nonprofit. You had this power of why. But I just interested in that your mindset, because like I said, you gloss over so many high level stuff and the fucker you went through, I can't even imagine yeah. with an actual 24 miler or 26 miler. Yeah. So during the first one in particular is what you're curious about. Um, that one was, was fun. I immediately started thinking when I started running in the rain, I went to this place of how badass is this? I'm the only one out here. And there's no one else running right now. Like, the cars are passing me on the highway. They're splashing water on me. It's, I love this. This is amazing. Like, I live for this kind of stuff. That was the self-talk that I was feeding myself early on to, like, get going. And it was great up until then when physical body started to break down. Then I, again, that physical and mental feedback loop, mm-hmm. and that started to feed and create some seeds of doubt into my head of, like, hey, man, like, are you hurt right now? Are you injured? What's going on? Like, why are you feeling this way? What's going on with your feet? What's going on with your hamstrings? Your hip flexors, your gait is a little bit off. I'm like, man, I really wish I just didn't know so much about biomechanics right now. I wouldn't be overanalyzing everything that's happening with my stride. But yeah, it's, it's a challenge when you start to shift out of this place of you're, you're in control, you're going into the action versus now the action is at your doorstep and how are you responding and that's something that i loved that that opportunity provided me to to train and embrace and really learn from was okay huh i was pretty prepared up to a certain point and then the preparation went kind of out the window awesome we're next time i do that or if i do something different i'll be better prepared we'll be able to better face that and it shifts that perspective i love that your example like is a perfect example that impossible can be different for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like what now I consider impossible is probably going to be something that people listening in could never relate to. Yeah. Because they're they haven't yet accomplished their impossible, whatever that may be. Seeking discomfort allows you to start to knock off these things. Next thing you know, you're on top of a you know ten mile high mountain. You're looking around like, oh, cool, this is. It's pretty nice up here. I wonder what the view's like a little bit higher up next time. Like, let's go check that out the next go around. And you just kind of just check these things off as we go. But that's kind of what was going on through my head during. Yeah, it's like a full circle, right? That your curiosity prompted this journey. Yeah. But throughout this journey, through the process, it prompts a new curiosity, which propels you towards the next goal, yeah. the next intention. So I think that's a beautiful full cycle of mindset. And I just wanted to highlight that for the people. So Appreciate it, man. Mm-hmm. And one place that I'd like to go next a little bit really comes out of running and I think speaks to kind of the mindset that you had during in that sometimes you're looking around externally, right? Mm -hmm. That's almost like the ego coming up of like, oh, I'm running faster than this guy. And then what you said of like you were feeling on the other side of like, oh, I'm running slower than them. Like it's still the same, I guess, mindset coming up just in like disguised in different ways when you are facing those adversities, how to like come back into 
like you said, out of your mind into your body, mm. kind of like trying to get the thoughts out of the place. And for me, the idea that comes up is flow, which yeah. I know we've talked a lot about. I'd kind of like to go there next a little bit. One of the like mantras I have when running, quite frankly, sucks, you know, the very end of the thing, trying to push through at the end, it's just finding flow, like mm. seek the flow state. Sometimes it's easier said than done, but in terms of running and flow state as maybe a vehicle or running as a vehicle for flow state, how do you get back into those processes out of your mind, into your body? Yeah, I think it's this beautiful poetic fight that we're always in, right? Like we, we want to get out of our own head. We just want to be, we just want to do the thing and not worry about it. Um, but then we could be running around and someone zooms past you and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> like, I thought I was doing really well. And then just, all right, now he's on his journey. He's doing his thing. We're not racing. As much as the competitor in me wants to come out and say, nope, it's game on. We're going to go catch this guy. One of the things that, a couple of things helped me tap back into body over mind in those senses or mind over body, whatever you want to call it. One is looking at what kind of music am I listening to? Mm. You know what I mean? Like sometimes based off of your mood, you don't need DMX to <laughs> continue to pump you up because you're overstimulated. Mm. And that's just actually furthering you down this like cortisol wormhole of just energies leaking everywhere. And sometimes you're not stimulated enough. So DMX would be a great example. But when, when I'm going through this stuff and I'm like, man, I'm really in my head. And then I'm, I'm getting annoyed at the pump-up music that I programmed. What idiot put this one in the playlist? <laughs> oh, yeah, me. Okay. And then I'll, I'll pull out the phone and, and change to something a little bit more calm, whether it's looking at tempo and then trying to match the tempo realistically with what I'm actually doing. Running's a great example of it. So if you're listening to something that's a BPM of like 120 to 130 beats per minute in the song, trying to like line up your stride to it, and then it becomes, again, this meditative practice where you've primed it with music. Now you're getting lost in the motion. And then all of a sudden, wow, you can really feel your stride. You can feel how the, the heel is hitting the ground. And then you're transferring the weight over to the toe. And that weight's coming up and over. And it's just getting turned over. And then you find this rhythm and it's just clicking, clicking, clicking over and over again. That's been a process that has really helped me out over the years. I love I that, that take. Helps. Have you ever listened to one song over and over again? I started playing around with it a little bit, but like... I've heard people that have done that, and it doesn't work for me. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, you need to spruce it up. I was going to say it takes a certain kind of crazy to do that, but mm -hmm. hey, if it works for you, it works for you. There's it's also some that listen with no music, which I can't... Didn't that's, you interview Nick like, Bear? Doesn't yeah. he uh, listen to no music for like 10, 20-mile runs? Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. That's wild. Yeah, wherever the meditative state brings you, I suppose. Yeah, nice. and like I said, some people, like Nick's a great example. He's naturally like a very on person. So for him to then turn to like hardcore Metallica or like something that's going to like amp him up even more, he'll be overstimulated and he'll, hmm. my, <laughs> my college coach would say, he'd blow his load too early <laughs> and then be done for the, the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's a great way to put it, you know, just... You want to be able to find that boundary and just ride it out as long as possible. And sometimes, yeah, you're a personality type that you very easily are overstimulated or you're going to take a lot to get up to that point. Again, just tune into what you need. Yeah, and I think that's a great analogy for life in a lot of ways. Like 
thinking through this idea for the first time in a while. Like the second marathon I ever did, I just ran it way too quick. Like I looked yeah. at my splits when I finished, it was like 30 seconds quicker than I was anticipating. And then I ended up walking the last two miles because I just like went out too hard and then felt dead at mile 10. Yeah. And I think that's an analogy for life of like, we have to find the time to rest and recover. This was a big theme from one of the last podcasts that we did together. It's like, there's such a negative stigma around recovery and sleeping, like the sleep while I'm dead and grind culture and all yeah. of those just kind of go, go, go approaches that capitalism leads us to. But healing and health and recovery are all like fundamental parts of peak performance. Yeah. What um, is really interesting, so coming from the flow stance here, flow happens when four stages are present you need all four so you have the struggle which is that initial phase of you're working with a problem you can't seem to solve it and instead of athletes especially love to do this they try to just continue onwards and it's finding that line of like how fast can i take out this half marathon before i reach that point of no return and i have no mm -hmm. gas on those last two miles and once i understand where that line falls i'm going to come up right to it and then stage two is we need a re little release. So we go for mm. a walk or, you know, in that case, we flirt with that line. And then we drop into that real meditative state that really long distance cardio bouts allow us to do. And then we found flow and it's like, oh my gosh. But we need that release instead of constantly struggling, struggling, struggling. And that leads us into three, which is flow itself. And then after flow, we need recovery. Because flow is this very energetic state. Mm -hmm. Even what people miss is even having like a really high energy conversation with people. When everyone on a, like a podcast, we get into a group flow and we're mm -hmm. jamming out. Afterwards, you might feel exhausted. And that's totally normal. It's because mm -hmm. we just exerted a lot of energy, even in a conversation. So we need that recovery at that last piece. What we miss a lot of times in society is we glorified the struggle, we glorified flow, the high achieving mm -hmm. portion. And we've seemed to have forgotten about release and we've forgotten about recovery. We don't need those. And we try to short circuit that loop in hopes of getting more flow. And what ultimately that leads us to is just more struggle. And we wonder why we're working really, really hard every single day, but we're not getting any traction in what we're trying to work hard to that's because if that sounds like something you're struggling and listening to start looking at ways to release and ways to recover a little bit more and build those in like get really gritty with both of those going for a walk right beforehand um, an example like right before recording this with you guys it's taking a second to release and like making sure i wasn't sending emails right until the last minute that you got here and then I'm like, all right, headphones on, like, let's go and record. I needed that release beforehand to then pop into this. And then afterwards I don't have anything scheduled because I'm like, I'm going to recover. We're going to see what goes. And hopefully that answers your question of starting to toe that line and uh, learn how to toe it a little bit better. Definitely. Yeah. It's a beautiful way to look at it because it's almost glorifying the recovery element, yeah. which, you know, I think is such an important factor. Uh, we kind of have a non-negotiable of meditating before all of our recordings, just because we found like you need that space to kind of just let things settle out, yeah. uh, turn off the upstairs in a lot of ways. And I think that's just something we'd like to encourage anyone listening to do in whatever their, you know, personal context is. Sometimes it's a walk before a big meeting or just creating that space to then approach the peak performance in a way. And I think one thing I'd love to continue this glorification rabbit hole we're going in is when it comes to sleep. 
Because mm. I think sleep is one of the things that's, I guess, hasn't really been popularized in fitness and wellness until very recently. It's yeah. a blessing that it's coming into awareness now. But I think, uh, like we acknowledge with the grind, grind, grind culture, sometimes it's just work out six times a week, don't recover. A lot of my coworkers come in, it's like, oh, I slept terrible. I just couldn't get to sleep last night. And I was like, what actions are you taking before you go to sleep? to then show up the next day. So when talking through sleep optimization with either clients or friends, what are some big things come up? Because we all sleep. We could all do it a little bit better. (laughs) And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how to optimize. So much there. I mean, that's a a pain point for a lot of people that Mm -hmm. they just can't get a good quality night's sleep. And there's nothing worse than that, right? Like, how awful do you feel the next morning after you've tossed and turned, whether it's in a new bed or whatever it may be, new, new environment. So to solve that, I think I love your point of building routines around the nighttime and getting really clear on what is that routine look like almost making it where it's like a reverse checklist. We're like turning off all the lights and our body and our mind so that when we check off that last one, we flip that switch, put our head down on the pillow. We're good to go. We're primed for a good night's sleep to go to tomorrow one of the things that prevents that a lot of times is unfortunately our phones. Mm-hmm. The number one thing I help most people with when it comes to sleep is building routines and helping them realize why they're so attached to their phone up until the last minute that they're asleep and the first moment that they wake up. Mm-hmm. If we can detach from that for an hour on either end, 99% of the time you're going to have a better quality day and a better quality sleep. And again, they kind of feed into one another. The better we sleep, the better we feel the next day. Huh, who would have thought that? I think tapping into discipline and determination and hustle culture is great when you need to. Like when you need to perform, you had a big meeting the next day, but you got a terrible night's sleep the night before, you can grind it out and go through. We're not looking at the micro, we need to look at the macro. Like what is this, is this consistently happening? Then we have a problem on our hands. If it's happening once in a while, cool, you're human. We all are. We're going to have those days. But yeah, getting clear on that and then understanding sleep is going to be what allows you to actually show up the way you want to show up the next day. I like this analogy when thinking of recovery and sleep of an arrow. And our recovery is everything that brings and draws that arrow back. And then it allows it to fly forward. Mm. But if we Mm. skip and kind of half-ass the recovery next thing we know we're only pulled back halfway we're not going to be shooting very far and then we confuse ourselves because we're like well we're still taking action so we're still doing something it's like no it's probably just useless noise that you've created you're just moving to move there's no intention behind it the recovery helps you set that intention I just read this study recently saying that the sleep deficit is causing the United States government 90 billion dollars mm. billion every single year based on accidents, based on additional resources that's required to attend to the unforeseeable issues surfacing from the lack of sleep, Mm -hmm. right? And I just want to go back to what you said, talking about the four different stages of flow state. Talked about even with your answering to Aiden's question about the highlighting of the importance of recovery. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think that's universal across the spectrum. So I'm going into specialty with clinical psychotherapy as we speak. And I'm very passionate about mental health. And we often talk about whether it's plant medicine, therapy, or whatever avenues you choose to address your mental health with, 
the key missing ingredients is integration, mm-hmm. right? I think a lot of people view coaching with you or doing mental health therapy. They view that an hour or two hour session a week as doing the work, yeah. but it's not the work. It's a navigation. Like people use Waze or Google Maps to get to point A to point B. And it shows you where you're going. Like you're the coach, right? You're the ones you're pointing out directions and clarity into your clients' lives. But the driving has to be done by the driver. Yeah. But people have this mindset that, oh, because I'm paying Corey or I'm paying this expert therapist 150 bucks an hour, I did my job. It's like, no, 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 no. You need to collect the surface lessons and you have to integrate into your own life. Likewise, for flow states, the reason why we can't maintain the flow state for too long because it requires immense expenditure on mental energy and yeah. physical energy that you alluded to, but then the recovery is the integration piece, right? And I think the society as a whole has missed that train, like we talked about entirely speaking. So I do think that you're bringing such an important awareness into the utmost importance of recovery. And I've never heard that analogy of arrow pulling back, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I love stealing, so I'm going to start using that. In, <laughs> I don't have a trademark, so... <laughs> You know, we'll, we'll rush after this to put in a patent with the... <laughs> the Corey Camp bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> with the government here. No, I, I love that point, too, of it's the integration piece that so many people miss. There's an abundance of information out there. How many podcasts are out there yep. in the world now? Like, we can Google any single problem we have, and there's the solution for it. Yep. But most people don't actually implement the information into their life. They... Mm actually live and introduce more pain into their life because now they've brought awareness of they know what to do and they're just not doing it. And that's the most frustrating thing in the world. You might as well just bang your head up against a wall for 24 hours a day because you're not going anywhere. You need that integration piece. And to your point, it's not easy. And it's it's not a, oh, I dedicated 30 minutes or an hour of my week to it. It's a, hey, this is a constant thing that's going on especially when we're talking what's going on in between our ears, we're getting feedback on that every second of the day. Mm -hmm. No matter what you're doing, there's something going on in there. So you constantly have to be ready to get feedback and look at what's going on there. Like, how can I improve? How can I improve? So I love the curiosity that you guys bring. It's like, I can tell, how can I grow? How can I continue to improve? You're just asking yourself that over and over again. And it's not just a once a week. It's not just once a day. It's every single second of the day. You're like, all right, cool. Curious on this. Let's dive here. Let's let's double click into that. Mm -hmm. Let's go over here. Let's see where we can learn and grow together. Definitely, man. Yeah, thank you. And I think for people listening right now, you know, we've just covered like a lot of really tangible ways of how to optimize their life, things that they can do to, you know, live healthier and better lives. But to your point, we can always listen and continue to consume information. But for someone that's listening might have really latched on to some of the ideas that you've said throughout this time. How do you help clients move into that motivation that actually is productive, actually is repetitive and sustainable rather than the, mm-hmm. I'm going to go up, change my life. And then they throw, you know, the kitchen sink at, I'm going to do all the morning routines, all the exercise, all the new diets, and then fizzle out in five to 10 days. You know, like how do you make it consumable accessible sustainable and actually embody some of those ideas yeah understanding like that momentum that we talked about earlier for me how i did the 5k stuff it's like if you had told me day one go run a marathon i would have looked at you like you had 10 (laughs) heads like no way that's not happening but i i'd have like a realistic talk with myself and that's really what it is with clients is hey let's 
really get a baseline of where you're at with things. And I hear you, the fact that you want to get into the optimal morning routine and the optimal night routine, and you want to start working out, you're going to train for an Ironman? That's badass, man. We'll help you do that. But we got to start with step one. We need to get, you know, let's start with one area. We're going to focus in on, okay, it's, it's sleep right now because now sleep unlocks all these other things. Now we have the, the freedom and the brain power to train. We have the freedom and the brain power and the willpower to stick to a nutrition plan a little bit better rather than this constrictive all in, all out. When we take that approach, yeah, it works great for like change like that, but it's not sustainable change. So if, you, if you're talking about sustainably performing and optimizing your performance, fortunately, it just takes time. And it really is just this balance of finding your baseline, reassessing your baseline constantly and adding on. Like the moment I feel like I got something down pat, awesome, I'm taking something else on. I don't like getting comfortable in like that space, which is why you see me doing a a zillion projects is because it's like, all right, I got the podcast down. That took me a year plus. Now I'm going to get into coaching as an element of that. Awesome. You're into coaching. Great. That's going pretty well. Now we're going to start building like in-person community events and see how that goes. And that's kind of like this new frontier that's keeping me curious and it's challenging. If I had started day one and sat down and go, I'm going to make a podcast. I'm going to put out TikToks all the time. I'm going to, I would get so overwhelmed. Uh, And that's unfortunately what so many people do is they just sit and they look all the way at the top of the mountain, but they're missing that they just need to take that first step there before they can even get there in the first place. And often the first step's the hardest, right? Yeah. Uh, One case study or example that I read recently that I think really speaks to this idea, um, it's from How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicole LaPera, and she tells the story of a lady who had full, like, chronic MS, difficulty getting out of bed, like, full-on depression, anxiety, just crippled her entire life. And she worked with Nicole as a therapist. Then she introduced her to the idea of just taking one glass of water every morning. Mm. And that compounded over the course of three years has put her MS in remission. She picked up yoga, is now a yoga teacher. But it's the whole idea of just keeping your word to yourself. I've heard in through my experience, learn that like fitness problems are just keeping our word problems, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, I'm going to work out, but then actually not going to work out. And I think a lot of the ideas you just talked through are essentially that it's building the repetition and almost like the confidence that you will do the thing that you set out to do and then continuing to stretch where that is. Because coming back to the seek discomfort idea, yeah. the more discomfort, then you have like more of a stretch. The boxes continue to expand, which I feel has been a running theme of the whole conversation. Yeah, I, I love that notion there of seeking discomfort and seeking out that change. It does boil down to how are you at keeping a word to yourself? Like, So many people out there right now don't know how to make themselves proud. Hmm. And then they try to take these gigantic steps to do so. And they're like, what if just it's a cornerstone habit? Like, what if drinking that glass of water spirals into all these other things. It sounds super simple, but I can commit to that. Like that sounds not too bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. People would probably look at me and be like, why am I paying you that much as a coach? You just told me to drink water every day. Like, trust me, like, let me work my magic. If you know, you know, yeah, there's a little behind the scenes magic going on here Mm -hmm. in your brain. But yeah, getting familiar with what is that cornerstone habit for you? And how can you make yourself proud in that moment? And that really is what 
saying something and following through it is how you make yourself proud on a daily basis. It's why so many people beat themselves up when they can't stick to that workout routine and how one day spirals into 10 days missed at the gym is because they're feeling shitty about themselves. They said they were going to do something and they didn't do it and they only have themselves to blame. And that's really, really tough pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. But if you can come to the realization and honestly be open, vulnerable, and be willing to say, hey, you know what? I can't do this on my own. That's when coaching comes into play. That's when accountability buddies come into play. And now you're starting to see, like, how can we set up this game where we can make ourselves proud? We can do that today. It doesn't have to be, you know, August 1st or the first of whatever month or January 1st when Mm -hmm. people, you know, get into fitness for the first time in a while it can be right now we can make up this arbitrary start date whenever naval ravikant the founder of angelist very prominent entrepreneur one of his best advices all best things in life come from iteration Mm. so how can you make everything consistent and compound everything right like the benefits of compound interest isn't just an investment it comes from every single habit and i think your advice is amazing and i really want people to like pause and rewind and digest what you just shared is not just making yourself proud, but like holding yourself accountable. Mm. Right. And a lot of things you just said, it talks about like sustainable changes. And I think sustainable changes happens when you don't have to exert a certain amount of expenditure. Like we were just talking about this yesterday after we worked out saying how, isn't it amazing with our 10 plus years of working out through sports or just uh, fitness Anytime we wake up, we don't have to dedicate uh, additional resource mentally or physically to decide we have to work on. Mm. The newer pathways have been built, right? And I think this was an idea introduced us a while back saying, once you're able to reframe everything through as practice, like if you view everything as practice, whether your ambitious act of doing solo marathon or doing a 20 mile hike or drinking a cup of water every single day, do you have the neural pathways built that enables you to do the repeated action over time? which then becomes habit, right? That's the atomic habits of James Clear, 3% better every single day. So I do think that it's very important to do the little things to build up the foundation. And I think this is a perfect segue in terms of sustainable changes. Nothing is more sustainable than identity, Mm. right? Because beliefs creates identity, but emotions fuels beliefs. And I know I told you, we'll come back to this in the beginning of the interview, and I don't want to leave the listeners on a cliffhanger for too long, is you had this internal flip that you wanted to evolve from identity of an athlete into mindset of a forever athlete. Mm. So I love to hear about your approach to identity work, right? Because to make something sustainable, it has to be a belief, mm-hmm. right? But then the fine balance is like you talked about, how can we make ourselves proud? But the other side is how can we forgive ourselves? Mm-hmm. Right, because it's a very slippery slope, and I do think the identity work speaks to both. And I know that's this is one of your most passionate projects, and I know this is the underlying theme of the entire brand yeah. is reframing the identity of a former to forever. So I'd love to hear about your own two cents and your thoughts on identity work. Yeah, identity is tricky because you have so many other influences, like trying to yep. say this is what you are, this is who you are. I wrote a poem a few months back around identity and to sum it up it's basically the biggest lie we're ever told Mm. is to pick an identity very early on and that's your label just in hopes so that when you meet someone new for the first time you can say hi I'm Corey I'm a personal performance coach for former athletes does that 
truly sum up who I am as a human being. It represents a piece of me. It's an expression of who I am, but it can't be everything that I am. And that's really where that shift comes for a lot of people is they've been fed so long that they need to identify as just one thing, one label. And it's so funny that we choose to accept that label for a while. I accepted the athlete label my whole life because that was just easy to meet someone new. They asked me what I did. I told them I swam. They'd be like, hey, who are you? Hi, I'm Corey. I'm the swimmer. In hopes that like that would help them learn and quickly understand and process me and see me and see my value in this world. But identity is so much deeper than any one label can ever provide us. So helping people flip that script of how they view themselves as cool. One of my favorite questions, how do you describe yourself without telling me what you do for a living? Some people really struggle with that one. They're like, uh, uh, I, I'm an investment bank. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> it's like, wow, dude, like we got to really take a step back. Being an investment banker is great. That can be an expression of who you are. So mm-hmm. taking a second to pause, looking at big picture, who are you? What does that look like? Best, most helpful realizations for me was I was a connector at heart. Like mm-hmm. I love connecting people. And I was like, huh, no matter how I do anything, I want connection to be at the center of it. Whether it's I'm connecting other people or I'm connecting with that person that is in front of me. So that's kind of the underlying expression in everything that I'm doing. That's how I filter through saying yes to certain things and saying no to certain things. It's like, am I going to be able to connect with more people? Am I going to be able to connect with the people in front of me while mm-hmm. doing it? But that's, I mean, we can keep going on and on about identity, but that's really how I encourage people to start looking at how they view themselves is how are they showing up and how is that an expression of who they are, not their whole value and worth being that thing. Yeah, I love that. It circles in a lot of the Claim Your Power book that we alluded to earlier Mm -hmm. around the, so you said, emotions as motivations, right? So like the emotion of connection or connecting as the motivating or like underlying theme of whatever the like doing thing is, right? Mm -hmm. Being connected through doing interviews, podcasts, coaching, whatever it may be. So I definitely love that reframe. And the question that you posed, I think is just massive around, is this thing going to enable me to like embody that identity or move from that identity, which is huge. Is it typically, I guess, adjective based? One of the big things for me was reframing. I'm an accountant to, I am compassionate or I am curious, right? Mm. Stripping the noun out because I think those inevitably lead to boxes of like the box of an accountant or the box of an investment banker. But then adjectives can be more holistic, more subjective, I suppose. But how do you think about that of someone listening wants to redefine their identity? What can they ask themselves to, you know, go through this process? Yeah, we'll we'll circle back to that to be versus to do list. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? For you to really live into that exercise, the quote unquote right way and for it to be meaningful and impactful, it has to be the adjective based on the, the to be side. So many of us are just stuck on the to-do side, which is, I'm an accountant, I am a swimmer, I am whatever, I'm an educator. It's like, okay, great. How do you show up as those things? Oh, okay, that's a little bit more in alignment with your identity, not that task in particular. So taking a second to like peel back and say, all right, I really strongly identify as being a a top-notch accountant. Awesome. Why are you that? 
what what about you makes you that okay great that's who you are not not an accountant i struggle now when people circling back to running people are like so you're a runner now and i'm like no no no, no. i just enjoy running mm-hmm. it's like huh okay people listening will be like but didn't you just and i like no i i know what i said earlier i know the stories i just enjoy running occasionally and i just will do it for long distances at times <laughs> that's an expression of who i am i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not a runner though yeah, Corey, that resonates a lot with me because like we talked about uh, who we are is not what we do and what we do is not who we are. And I really liked the question you just talked about is can you describe yourself without telling what you do, right? Mm-hmm. That's the people first language, like neurolinguistic aspect, right? The NLP element that shines through. And by the same, I think the other side is like your client who's an investment banker who struggled to describe himself holistically without talking about what he does first. And I think a lot of people fall into that category, Mm. right? And it's almost like using imposter syndrome as a fuel to motivate what you feel lacking of. I think you can approach your question the same way is if when you hear this question, whenever Corey posed a question and when we're talking about this question, if you're currently listening and you're struggling to conjuring up what you do or describing who you are without saying what you do, don't be deterred by that. I think you can almost use that as a motivation is, oh, this indicates that I haven't lived, right? I've been confined in this box of what we do for so long, I'm having difficulty describing who I am. You can almost tap into that as a motivation. And because once again, it's not just about making yourself proud, but also forgiving yourself. So I just wanted to highlight that and reflect that because I do think it's it's definitely one of the most powerful questions I've heard recently. Appreciate that. One thing that came to mind as you were saying that is a lot of us gravitate really easily to that label and we'll keep down this track of investment banker or maybe whatever their profession is. And it's really just interesting to observe you're describing who you are as a way that you show up for someone else. How do you show up for yourself? That's one of the themes that keeps coming up in this conversation. How do you make yourself proud? What goes into that? That's where your identity is. It's not who you are for your mom. It's not who you are for your brother, your sister, your employer, wherever it may be. It's who are you for you? Once you can get clear on that, all those other relationships and those other roles and hats that you put on, they improve as well. They go through the roof because you're so clear and confident on who you are and what you want. Things don't affect you anymore. You're way more even killed and you're just like, all right, cool, man. I see Seems like you need to go do some therapy work, man. Like, you got a lot of problems there. All right, whatever. I'm going to keep going on with my life here and just see where it goes. That's how a lot of people are able to just go through life and things will happen to them and they just let it go. Rolls right off. I love that a ton, man. I think I'm really glad you brought that idea back around in that we make ourselves proud through the small actions, right? I think there's almost like a narrative around we make ourselves proud by getting a promotion or running a marathon or like some big overarching achievement that we could like sign our name under or something. But to your point, it's like the small things added up are really where that pride comes. And then where I'd like to go next is the idea that you brought up of it allows us to show up better for other people. And for me, this is where that sense of community comes in, Mm -hmm. which I think really ties together a lot of the things through your Forever Athlete brand. And I'd love for you to share the vision and just like the mission around 
creating community, right? Obviously, identity is kind of that underlying idea, but it seems like this community that's building is almost allowing identities to be shared and do the work together. So would love to hear more about that community element. Yeah, I missed the locker room. You know, I missed Mm -hmm. having built-in communities and people around me that I could just go and be like, yo, this is what's gone on my mind today. This is what's happened in my life. And just like shoot the shit with them or whatever it may be. Man, this doesn't exist beyond sport. That's really kind of what I'm trying to recreate, but doing so in a conscious way. Like being very intentional with who we're calling into these communities and making sure it's like minded people coming together and raising the overall, you know, product. At the end of the day, they're bettering themselves because they're around better people. We're environment helps elevate energy if we are intentional in how we set up the environment environment can also drain your energy if Mm -hmm. we're not intentional so the mission behind what i'm doing from a community aspect is i want to create conscious connections between people with similar backgrounds similar walks of life that just have this innate drive to be better they just want to grow and they want to do so with people around them that get them a lot of high achievers can relate to this If I'm walking down the street and I just tell a random person, these are my goals and this is my vision for this company or for my personal well-being, they'd say, that's great, dude. That sounds like big eye impossible. I'll never be able to do that. But when you intentionally put yourself with people that understand you and have a similar wiring as you, I love sharing those things with them because then they're like, their first reaction is, how can I help you get there? How can I support you on that vision, on that dream? Not, wow, dude, that sounds crazy. Good luck with that. That's the intention behind creating these communities and doing so in a way where people are experiencing group flow Mm. as whole in these containers. Like I did an event last month was more mental health focused. The event this month for August is physical health focused but still encouraging deeper connection among the people there. Tapping into some nostalgia for context, this month's is the Forever Athlete Olympics, and I'm making the, all mm. the events like field day, like we were back in elementary school. So you'll have the three-legged race, you'll have the wheelbarrow race, water balloon toss, like all this stuff, and you'll have teams of four competing with each other and against each other for continuous giveaways throughout the afternoon. They'll also top three teams will be awarded like gold, silver, bronze, just like you would in the Olympics at the end, um, have some larger giveaways for that. And then it, tying it in, it's all a benefit and a celebration. A buddy of mine right now is biking across America wow. for mental health America. And he's finishing the day before that this event happens. So we're throwing this as a celebration for him and a, like a charity fundraiser benefit to help him reach his fundraiser goal. So we're still checking off that holistic health box where we're going, putting some funds towards a really good cause in Mental Health America, and we're having some fun and tapping in some nostalgic feelings and making connections in the process. I'm super excited about it. That's powerful, man. I love that on so many levels. We'll be sure to share all of the details around it within the show notes and everything like that. For some reason, as you were talking, the idea of like, it's almost like jet fuel with having yeah. community and accountability, similar to how we talked about the small things can build momentum. To your point, environment can also build momentum of having that accountability and even just like positive energy around believing in one another, sharing those experiences and trying to, you know, collaborate and contribute to the same, not necessarily same exact cause, but same cause of 
perpetual improvement. Yeah. Which is just amazing. Um, and I think you mentioned that you hosted a few events already. Obviously, this is a big one coming up. Yeah. But in some of the previous ones, I recognize the mental health concentration of the last one. Is there any like specific story or even a shared ethos or theme of maybe something a lot of people were struggling with and were able to relate to? Certainly another open-ended question, but yeah, it sounds like they've been pretty powerful and transformative for your life. So would be happy to hear what comes up. Yeah, it's always interesting when you create a space, especially when, I mean, coaching a lot of times is just creating a space where allows people to feel like they know you, they trust you, and they can share confidently and confidentially mm -hmm. anything that's on their mind. And what's really interesting as I've kind of taken that approach and put it into events, it's flirting with, okay... Do I hop in and be a coach here or do I just become an observer? And it was really interesting. I think the event you were talking about was like the mental health experiment that I put together. And with that, it was great reminder to be like, you don't have to be a coach in this situation. Just be an observer, feel the energy, really relate to these people. Like take a second, leave any, there was no intention of walking away from that event with 15 new clients or 20 new clients and be like, oh yeah, great. That was great for my business. No, the whole intention was to connect at a deeper level with these guys. So I think what's interesting to see shifting into an observer was that, that balance of the coach and me wanted to come out and immediately jump in and be like, oh, well, this is what you're doing. You, you should do this, this, and this. It's like, no, okay, like that's them. The other really interesting thing that comes up, especially when you pose the question of what's something you're struggling with and someone shares what they're struggling with, you almost meet it with this question of, is there more there? It sounds like there might be, or why do I feel that way? Maybe that it really is like what they're truly struggling with. Maybe mm -hmm. it is that they're just struggling to work out right now. And that is their, their biggest struggle to me as someone. And I think to you guys as well, where working out is like so routine and habit at this point. We look at that and we're like, come on, man. Like, couldn't you have shared a little bit more? Like, they probably could have gone deeper there. Mm -hmm. And then I have to take a second and swear, like, having done the work can get really loophole annoying. I'm like, well, wait a second. Why am I passing that judgment? All mm -hmm. right. Who am I to say, like, impose my thinking onto them? I need to help them come to a breakthrough on their own. And that's truly what coaching is, is just holding up mirrors long enough and asking the right questions where you come to this profound breakthrough with my help and you're just like oh okay this is great i can now go implement from here yeah you truly are the bridge yeah that allows for people to shine through and just to be very transparent what you just shared hits me deep because that is a tendency i tend to lean towards from time to time so for example during our discovery call last week right that's yeah. part of our fitting process and part of our platform and opportunity for us to see if we're aligned with our ethos and compatibility because like we talked about we don't always pick people based on what they do it's who yeah. they are holistically and i remember i was sharing this with aiden while we're brainstorming for this interview and doing some prep work i realized most a lot of guests and ourselves we tend to share some vulnerable pieces of who we are during the discovery call and obviously one of the things we do is saving the juicy deeds for the actual interview 
but I remember from our conversation, nothing particularly vulnerable surfaced. And of course, you told us that you're an open book yeah. and your openness is very, very evident throughout this interview. The thought, like a passing judgment passed through my mind is, yeah. ooh, how do I feel about this interview knowing that Corey didn't share anything vulnerable about himself during the pre-call? Yeah. Is that an indication of the actual interview? Which in hindsight, it's definitely not the indication. Sure. But I did the exact same <laughs> yeah. judgment, right? It's, oh, I gravitate towards people who are more embraceive of that vulnerability. Yeah. And since that wasn't present in this call, now I think of you as this perceived idea of who I think Corey Camp is before contextualizing with you in person. Yeah. It's like that spiritual ego that Massey and Kip and Aiden talks about a lot is, like you said, it's a loopy thing where, oh, I've done the work. I've been there. Now let's provide value by coaching him or her through the yeah. process. And I do think that's extremely difficult to do is you're switching from leading to facilitating. Like you use the word observing, yeah. but I think it's like the same token. Yeah. Appreciate you. Uh, yeah. I'm glad we were able to shift your judgment here. No, seriously. It is interesting to see back to that point on identity, right? Like we have such finite amount of time to mm -hmm. make a, an impression on people. And like in my case, I'm just grateful that that impression from the pre-call didn't, you know, ruin this in the sense of, oh, well now this was never able to transpire because that impression was so mm -hmm. deeply rooted. How many people out there allow that first impression to be like, all right, no, they're not for me. Like, I'm never going to speak with them again. I think it's, yeah, it's this balance, the scale of how much can we put on the scale and then like what's met on the other side of things. And that's vulnerability. That's human connection though as well we every time we put forth something the other person has an opportunity to put forth something as well for, of equal weight and then that brings us closer together when we're trying to just meet in the middle somewhere 1000 percent. and i think reciprocity is a big idea that comes up for me within that is like we would have to be receptive to those judgments changing and yeah. i think that kind of trickles in with a lot of the things we've talked about of like what someone's best looks like might be different from month one to month six and what yeah. one judgment looks like. Like we all change some faster than others, some in different, like we're all walking different paths, but at the same time, we all need to be receptive to w how things change in the future. And I think what you just mentioned alludes to that beautifully of like, yeah, we'll have our judgments and our awareness, but that'll continue to change. I feel this is why we love this whole curiosity mindset so much is because being curious, it's like open to things changing and trying to like continue to figure out as we evolve, as things evolve, as I mean, the world evolves, Yeah, you know, um, it's just kind of that ongoing perpetual process that we just love for you, you know, taking part in with us. It's just always fun picking people's brains, hearing their expertise so before we jump into our last couple questions, we'd really like to just hear out how you've been incorporating the news of what's been going on in the Olympics. I think there's been a big dialogue around mental health in general within the athletes, which I think is both exciting and inspiring for what's to come in terms of that entering the dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. It's been very rare to hear how the athletes are feeling, but rather than how many golds or silvers they got. So now that this is coming into a forefront of the conversation, how are you thinking about a spotlight being shined on the athlete's mental health and actual well-being? Oh, such a tough question because there's just a zillion thoughts that like come mm -hmm. to mind, especially, I mean, recently with Simone Biles, you know, withdrawing and she actually just came back. I thought I saw this morning and mm -hmm. won a bronze in one of her events. So the fact that she was able to come forth there and, take some time and still come back and perform 
at a pretty high level, you know, bronze medal at the Olympics is still yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we lose sight of that, I think, because mm-hmm. U.S. especially, as our expectations are it's gold or go home, like, <laughs> forget about it, which I think, again, further widens that there's this gap, especially when we're talking about mental health for athletes. There's this gap that, unfortunately, is being really, really highlighted right now in the response to the news of these top-level performers saying, hey, I'm going to prioritize me. Like Kyrie Irving this past year in the NBA, taking some mental health days. And then at the end of the season, the Nets or- it was leaked that the Nets organization wasn't quite happy with Kyrie and how he was handling that. And it's like, come on, if, if he had a lingering knee issue, like he would have done the same thing. We need to start treating the mind very similarly as we would any physical ailment. And two, we also have to recognize these people, like they're so rooted in wanting to perform. The level of courage and strength that it takes someone of that gratitude to say, I'm not going to go out there because I'm not 100% mentally. That's true like strength because... Mm -hmm. Knowing those people, like how many football players would do anything to, they're taking cortisol shots on the sidelines to just go out and play. You know, it's the fact that they are taking themselves out and really saying, hey, I'm not okay, should be this glaring red flag to society saying, hey, maybe we should change how we're addressing them as performers. What if we look at them more holistically as these humans and this is just again an expression of what they're doing and now all of a sudden there isn't this immense pressure on them and then they're able to perform better but what we're seeing from the comment section is you have people on one side saying they're a hero they're they should be celebrated heck yeah do your thing on the other side it's like it's just one game it's just one competition suck it up just play through it and you're like all right Clearly, you've never been there. You're passing judgment off onto these people, and we're forgetting that they don't perform for you. You know what I mean? And one of the things that I think we've seen in sports that doesn't help this case is we have the all-time historic push-through gritty performances. You have the Michael Jordan flu game. You have the Tiger Woods 08 U.S. Open Championship with the broken leg and torn ACL. Crazy, phenomenal feats that we have society now, going back to the U.S., get gold or go home, we now expect big eye of possible, the uh, huge accomplishment, as just the norm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that <laughs> that's not the reality, especially when we're talking competitive sport and we're competing against other people. Like, I'm a, I'm a competitive person. I can't control what the seven other people did in the pool anytime I race them. If they had the race of their life as well, and I did, and I got second, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow, but like, I, I'm going to need to swallow it. It's mm-hmm. kind of what we're seeing, though. It's like this crazy expectation has become the norm, and now these athletes are feeling like they can't live up to that because it's unrealistic. Even for someone like Simone Biles, it's unrealistic that she needs to go against her core values of drive, grit, push through, and say, I need to honor myself here and what I'm feeling. And I'm just glad that she kind of paved the way to do that, to, in my eyes, she's even more so going to be the greatest of all time and remembered for this because everyone loves a good comeback story of mm-hmm. taking a step away and coming back and still doing something. Uh, it's just a shame that she 
has to sacrifice her statute legacy mm-hmm. to build a bigger legacy, like a Colin Kaepernick as well. You know, he mm-hmm. he sacrificed everything that the stat book will show him as a player, but he gained everything that shows who he is as a person because of what he mm-hmm. chose to do and stand for. Yeah, it's almost like high impact versus high statue. Yeah. Right, which is Colin Kaepernick's fortunately with the support of Nike as a brand, he was able to step onto that plate. Yeah. Um, and I think this is such an important topic. And of course, like I said, we wanted to have this intentional discussion because it is a shift in cultural, right? And like you talked about, vulnerability is truly strength because for Simone, for her to recognize the immense spotlight that she's having on an international level, and she still chose to lean into her vulnerability and say, you know what? This is a no for me. I'm going to prioritize my life, my sanity versus the statue that you alluded to, which I think is extremely difficult to do. Like, it's yeah. very hard to do on the highest level. Like what we talked about in the beginning of this show, this is a once in a four-year event. And you've been preparing your entire life since you're four years old. And now you can't even compete in that 30-second highlight reel. So I do think this is incredible that this is happening as we speak. And but like the downside is obviously very obvious. So I do appreciate your insight yeah, man. on this topic. Yeah, I think it's it's moving in the right direction. But we're seeing right now, like we've seen in all of these climates across different issues, yeah. two sides, two ways of thought really clashing together. Mm-hmm. And I think it boils down to let's meet somewhere in the middle and recognize that we're we're all humans at the end of the day and we have that common ground and if we can focus on our common ground then we can express ourselves however we want we're all entitled to a certain opinion but let's meet in the middle let's have these open vulnerable conversations what i love about vulnerability too it's a flow trigger like it allows us to get in the flow state because it allows us to play free it allows us to admit that we don't have total control and that's okay it allows us to play loose for an athletic example really letting go and seeing where flow takes you yeah yeah we definitely share the sentiment in that this action that simone took kind of changed her legacy from that athletic standpoint to the personal standpoint and i think that almost further solidifies her being the best of all time in that it's not just the athlete but rather the person as a whole. And to me, the MJ versus LeBron comparison really comes up with that of yeah. like, you know, who the best athlete is versus like the better holistic, like well-rounded, you know, leadership comes into play, even just like supporting community outside of the things like LeBron's school and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just, it seems like the narrative is flipping around athletes, not just being athletes, but rather athletes as people and humans, like you just yeah. alluded to, which makes us super excited for your brand that's designed around this whole concept. You know, the narrative seems to be changing. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point with MJ versus LeBron and how they show up outside of the basketball court. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is room for heavy debate on on the basketball court who is better between the two. Off the court, knowing what we know about MJ and, like, what he's done in his personal career and some of the addiction stuff that he's struggled with and, you know, been caught doing versus what LeBron's doing, I think we're going to give the nod to LeBron (laughs) on, you know, overall better person, so to speak. Not that I'm... I mean, I would be lying if I said I wouldn't be excited to sit down with MJ and you know, talk all things mindset. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you're, st- you're seeing this holistic thing. You have LeBron and Kyrie heading up these movements of more than an athlete and mm-hmm. really allowing an alternative identity 
not even an alternative identity, an additional identity, I would say. And that's kind of what I'm positioning Forever Athlete to be as well, is this alternative additional identity that allows it to be whatever you need it to be. Mm-hmm. It, it can mean you can show up as an athlete in the boardroom. You can show up in the, as an athlete in your commitment to yourself. I think that's really the number one thing that people admire and look up to athletes the most for yep. is you just see them and you just know right away they're dedicated, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's what I realized. So I was like, Oh shoot, I got this superpower from, that I trained years and years and years of 4:45 a.m. swim practice very early on to now at this point in my life, how can I unleash that superpower now? Mm-hmm. Do I still need to wake up at 3:45 to make it to the pool in time? No, that's okay. It's going to look a little bit different, but letting go of that need for it to look the exact same. It's not an easy journey, but it's one worth going down. Yeah, and also the key word is unleashing, right? You're not borrowing superpower you're not achieving superpower you already have it within you yeah you're just tapping into which i think is a huge distinguishment to make and i just want to make a funny comment is when you talked about the comment section being very polarized and yeah. very you know uh in the youtubes and the people who are supportive like every single former olympians including michael phelps have supported yeah. Simone's decision because they understand they've been there and I think they have more empathy because they have the relevant experiences. And all these people for hating on them are keyboard warriors. They have never <laughs> yeah. done anything physical. Like, I don't want to pass judgment because I don't know them. And they're, once again, they're keyboard warriors because they're hiding behind the keyboard. And even the term warriors, like, they're not warriors. What are they fighting for? Like, typing words, you know, fast. So, uh, but it's very, very obvious that people who have been to that chapter, been to that stage, been to that process, fully understand the process. And they're very supportive. And I think that's like the underlying token of your community is you're not about like poppy C syndrome. Like we've heard about poppy C syndrome, right? Like when you get too tall in Australia, you cut them down into the conformity. So that's why you're able to cultivate this support system so that people only build each other up. And poppy syndrome is not condoned or not even talked about. So Yeah, we got some tall people that come to the events. So. <laughs> some guys are like six, seven, uh, former NFL players. It's like... Mm-hmm. No poppy syndrome there. Yeah, but physically <laughs> tall. Very, very tall. Um, yeah, and I think this is the perfect opportunity for us to uh, hit you with the two questions to end this yeah. amazing and very wide-ranging conversations with. And Aiden, if you want to hit him with the first. Sure, yeah. I think what you just alluded to of kind of the vision for the Forever Athlete speaks to it a little bit, but just the idea of a mentorship program. It seems like that's a bit of what you're building through Forever Athlete for past athletes, but really whether it's young athletes in general or young people in general but mm. say you have a mentorship program what are some things that you would say to them just top of the top of the staircase few seconds in front of a group uh, that are looking to make change in the world and really take ownership of their lives what are some of the big piece of advice that you'd like to give your mentees yeah i think the biggest thing is just don't lose sight of like who they are and what their superpower is there's going to be moments in time where society you are going to doubt your own abilities and try to shy away from that stuff but you need to protect that as much as possible and you do the world a disservice when you don't share that to the best of your abilities so protect your superpower be you and share it and unleash it with the world it's like the idea of you can't love others before you love yourself first Mm. so that's amazing i do think that before we worry about changing the world, 
we must improve ourselves first. Like we owe it to us mm. and the God and universe, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think that's a beautiful point to conclude this episode with the question we end with is an alignment since alignment intention setting has been a key component of this episode in alignment with our ethos of discovering more tapping to their curiosity, right? Upholding that integrity of curiosity uh, for you, Corey, as the guest of this week, we would like to challenge you. What are some areas in your life, either professionally or personally, mm. that you want to discover more about? And the second part of the question is, how would you like to shift that and challenge our listeners to discover more something about in their respective lives after listening to this amazing episode? Yeah, I love the introspection of this question. I think one of the things that I've been really curious about recently is spirituality and spirituality in the sense of I, I guess you would say religion. I grew up a Methodist in Christian faith. I probably stopped going to church like the moment that I had a choice that I could. Mm-hmm. I was like, awesome. See you later. Sunday school is great. I'm going to sleep in instead. That's my one day I could sleep in as a kid in high school. I say all that to say, like, I, this past week, actually, I went to church for the first time out here at this group called Church Home up in Beverly Hills, and I was like, well, this is way different than the church then I went to, especially, like, location-wise, I'm in the middle of freaking Beverly Hills, this mm-hmm. is kind of insane, but I, what I liked about it was just how actual relatable the message was, and I went, I think, with the right group of people around me, mm-hmm. and I was ready for quote unquote, ready for it. And it didn't feel like I was going there and they were just like shoving down my throat. Like, this is the way to live your life. This is how you have to be. Screw everyone that's not Christian. I mean, Methodist is not quite that way, but that's kind of how I felt for a while. So I'm just exploring that and seeing what that means. Am I going to become someone that goes to church every single Sunday? Probably not. I'm going to be completely transparent and honest with myself on that one. But is it something that I feel like I can pop into and offer some new perspective in my life? Definitely. So that's one. That's the area I guess I would be exploring, trying to discover a little bit more and how it relates to me. Uh, and then one of the things I really would challenge the people listening is just pick an area and just stick with it for 30 days. Start with that cornerstone foundational step and then build from there, build momentum doesn't have to be a 30-day challenge it can be whatever you want it to be but find an area that could and we covered a bunch of them today Mm -hmm. (laughs) could be sleep it could be physical it could be mental it could be dietary doesn't matter start with building some small momentum to it and go from there see how it goes i love that man definitely an awesome place to leave our listeners with um we had an amazing chat with you learned a ton we uh would love to give you the red carpet so to speak kind of let our listeners know where they can connect with you what they could support um anything you've got going on in the next couple months yeah man well first off again i appreciate you guys coming here this is this is a lot of fun so thank you for making the time i'm honored for the space uh if anyone out there wants to connect with me pretty simple instagram at quarry camp uh websites quarrycamp.com and as far as projects, uh, we have a book that is coming out in October. We'll be a published author titled Forever Athlete, Tap Into Your True Identity Daily. And it's a co-author project, so collaborating with a bunch of other former athletes in this space and they're sharing their story of what it means to try to find their true self in this crazy world that we're all navigating in. So check it out. Be on the lookout for that come October. It'll be out.
Wow. Immensely excited for that project. Uh, I think we have a bit of a gap in our release schedule, and I think we'll try and time this right out. We'll time the interview to come out right with the book release, so I think that would be perfect timing. Would be happy to support you with everything. Appreciate you guys. That's amazing. Yeah, I I just want to highlight, like you talked about, just identify an area and just dedicate 30 days. And obviously, we have this idea by Malcolm Gladwell. Every single mastery requires 10,000 hours. Yeah. And once again, go full circle into the beginning of this episode is it's hard to even fathom what 10,000 hours is like. That's unimaginable. Yeah. But 30 days is more doable than 10,000 hours. And I think that's the entire ethos of this episode is like whether you are like Corey, who are more intense physically, you want to do a solo marathon, a solo climb, or whatever you want to identify with. Like always start small and increment improvement over time. So, but yeah, Corey, this is a blast and like two and a half hours flew by. And I think the honor is ours. Thank you for hosting us in this beautiful backyard of yours in Venice Beach in, in uh, Los Angeles. And I've, I've no doubt that people are going to take away a lot from this episode. And to everyone else who have made it to this far, we truly appreciate you for listening. And thank you again for discovering more with us this week. And as always, we'll include all the information in the show notes below. And as always, see you until next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.